Our scripture lesson is Genesis 32, 22 to 31, found on page 28 of the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning. It is good to be back with you. Um, I've been out for a couple of Sundays, in case you didn't notice, But I noticed, and I missed you all while I was gone, so it's good to be back and back in the pulpit. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, O God, and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, said this about sleep. Sleep is a surrender, a laying down of arms. In sleep, you are giving up being in charge of your life. You are putting yourself into the hands of the night. Let me read that again. Sleep is a surrender, a laying down of arms. In sleep, you are giving up being in charge of your life. You are putting yourself into the hands of the night. So who here hasn't found yourself awake in the night, besieged in a battle with warring thoughts and emotions? I had one of those nights recently. I went to bed undisturbed, so there was no particular reason. I woke up around 3 a.m. perseverating over a litany of quarrels I was having with myself. And I went round and round with, you know, that woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, litany. It seems like the night invites wrestling. Wrestling with anxiety or fear or guilt or unresolved relationships. Who hasn't in the dark of night reckoned with regrets about words uttered 
or actions taken. Now, is it just me or are there others who haven't learned that it's never a good idea to start an argument with your beloved right before bedtime? 33 years of marriage and my poor husband, poor husband. In the darkness, all the unresolved issues um, become shadows on the wall 100 times their actual size in the light of day. So today's story is about Jacob and his particular wrestling match in the dark of night. Now the Hebrew verb to wrestle is used only one time in the Bible, only one time, and it's in this scene. And there's a triple play on the word. So the verb for wrestle is abak, or yabak. That's Y-B-K. The noun Jacob is Yaakov, Y-K-B. And the river Jabak is Y-B-K. So you can see that the writer is playing, right? Hebrew, Hebrew um, is uh, really clever that way. And so the river Jabak can be translated the Wrestle River. So there's no doubt that this story is about struggle. So let's back up a moment and recap Jacob's story, just like they do on Downton Abbey. Right? Previously in Genesis, the name Jacob is derived from the Hebrew word for heel, that's H-E-E-L, and has the connotation of supplanting or cheating. And his name encompasses the truth of who he was and who he turned out to be. Jacob turned out to be a supplanter or a cheater and a liar. Jacob grabbed what he thought was rightly his. He grabbed his twin brother Esau's heel at their birth. He also grabbed Esau's birthright through trickery. And when Esau discovered that Jacob cheated him out of his birthright, he threatened to kill his twin. Now Esau in the text is described, I love this, is described as a rugged boy who liked to hunt an outdoorsy kind of guy. Okay, that's my language, but an outdoorsy kind of guy. And Jacob is described as a quiet child, a calculating child who liked his mother and sheep. Again, my words, but they're fair. Now the boy's mother, Rebecca, helped her favorite son to escape for his life. And on his way to his uncle's uh, land in Syria, Jacob stopped and slept on the desert floor, and he had that dream about angels and ladders. And in the dream, God came to Jacob and mysteriously promised that Jacob, the trickster, the conniver, would become a blessing to God's people. Jacob found refuge and employment working for his uncle Laban, a man cunning like his nephew, who eventually became Jacob's father-in-law. Now, Jacob married both of Laban's daughters, Leah first, who was actually his second choice, and then seven years later, he married the love of his life, Rachel. Now, if anyone ever says biblical family values, you can point him to this text, because very strange. So after 20 years working for Laban and being economically astute, Jacob finagled 
his father-in-law's wealth for himself. He grabbed what he thought was owed him, and he worked out a golden parachute. Are you still with me? Okay. So it's been 20 years since Jacob left his homeland, empty-handed. He returns in our episode, A Wealthy Man. In addition to a farm's worth of livestock, he comes with two wives, Rachel and Leah, their two maids, 11 children, who will later make up the foundation of Israel. So we enter our story on the Day of Reckoning. Life finally has caught up with Jacob. The story is as old as time. When we run, what we run from seems to pursue us until we have the courage to stop and face ourselves. So Jacob has to face up to what he did to Esau. Now, told by his scouting party that Esau was coming out or is coming out to meet him with 400 men, reconciliation with his brother didn't really look like it was in the cards. But Jacob, with a Jacob-like strategy to appease his brother, he cleverly sends out all his worldly possessions, drove by drove, to meet Esau. And after sending the last of all that matters to him across the wrestling river, Jacob is stripped of all that has made him who he is. In the dark of the night, Jacob is left alone. He is left alone to face his own interior terror, regrets, and fear of an uncertain future. So a mysterious opponent, an unknown man, comes unannounced upon Jacob. Is is the wrestling partner a man or an angel or God or his conscience personified? The narrator seems to leave his identity um, intentionally opaque. The story's lack of clarity kind of allows us for interpretation and many meanings. What the text is crystal clear about, though, is the dynamic between these two wrestlers, this dynamic connection between them. Jacob engages in the most important struggle of his life. And the struggle ensues all night, and it's not really clear who will um, emerge as the winner. And Jacob gets his hip at a joint, but he hangs on for a blessing. And he wants to know the name of the wrestler, the unnamed one. He wants to name the unnamed one. But instead of learning his opponent's name, he answers the man's question, what is your name? And Jacob says, Jacob. And the opponent says, you will no longer be the cunning one. The man pronounces, you are now Israel. And the one who strives with God and prevails will be the future of the nation. So Jacob receives the blessing, a new name, a new identity, a new purpose to his life. Now, if you are a person who grapples with your faith, if you feel you have more doubt than belief, if you have more resistance than trust, Jacob's wrestling match is a story for you. Paul Tillich, the 20th century Uh, theologian proposed that the opposite of faith is not doubt. 
the opposite of faith is certainty. Our human impulse is to take life's complexities and want to make sense of them, rational sense with our minds, which actually causes us great anguish anguish because they rarely make sense. We struggle to pin mystery to the ground and to get our arms around it. But the world says to us, give us easy answers. Give us absolutes. We demand certainty and clarity and control. Ambiguity is not in our culture's wheelhouse. The wise poet Rilke, he wrote, Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. To live a life of faith is to love the questions, to circle mystery. And Jacob's story of wrestling with mystery should be our story. We all come to the banks of the wrestling river at different points in our lives. There can't be growth without struggle for us. There cannot be faith without struggle. And Jacob didn't back down from his opponent And his opponent wasn't daunted by Jacob's confidence. It appears the match was a draw. Jacob limped away, limped away a different man with a wound and a blessing. And it's interesting that it is Jacob who reveals the identity of the man. Jacob said, I have seen God face to face. God's grace is the soul of the struggle. So wrestling with God is what makes us the people of God. We ask questions, we make space for uncertainty, and we don't give up our faith without skin in the game. Now, Montview's beloved church tagline, which I think my colleague came up with. Yeah, okay, you did. Yes. It's a wonderful tagline, question, think, serve, and grow. And these describe who we've been and continue to be. And maybe more than ever, we have to stay true to being a community that values questioning and thinking and serving and growing in our love for God. These values are essential not only to our church's health, but to the health of society. There are so few places that you can be in where where questioning is allowed. Next week, we're going to ask you to turn in your stewardship, your pledge cards. And I'm asking you that this year you consider your pledge to be a commitment for our church, to be a a safe space for all kinds of people, for all kinds of good questions. And together, we will deepen our knowledge and our love for God through Jesus Christ. So may we trust that God's grace is the soul of the struggle. And may we have enough humility to circle the mystery. And most importantly, may we always be ready to give thanks 
for God's great blessings. Thanks be to God.